0: himself strong in the lives of people he has always done so through those who will give themselves fully and completely to him before giving the 10 commandments moses commanded the people to consecrate themselves standing on the edge of the jordan river joshua told the people to consecrate themselves fully to god for he would do
1: that we pray for and sometimes the answer comes and the first thing that we start doing when that happens is think, well, that's probably just a coincidence. It's just happening at the same time or it's probably just, I mean, who knows? That probably is really not the real answer for the thing I've been praying. Anybody ever done that before? Hello? Yeah, me. So the church, us and many other churches for some time have been praying for revival to come in our land. Amen. It looks like there could be some beginnings of that as of now. I see it here in our church, but I'm talking about at a different level. If you've watched any news reports, you know that there's something going on at Asbury College uh, in Kentucky, right? Is that where it is? They are now in, well, back on February 8th, they had a chapel service. It's a Christian college. After the chapel service, students stayed and continued praying and singing. And they continued singing and praying. That has continued now for, what is today, 19th? 11 days, nonstop. I know, it's tempting to look at and say, well, we'll see what happens. As long as there's repentance and change, I get it. I'm praying for that as well. I don't want it to be just a flash in the pan or just a, a kumbaya moment, but you can't dismiss what hasn't reached its full potential yet. When a seed is planted and a sprout comes up out of the ground, you don't say, well, I'm going to wait and see if some corn really comes from that stalk. If you know it's corn, it's going to eventually. Hello, right? So all I'm saying is, if you see those reports, let's not be too quick to dismiss what is happening there. It could very well be the very thing we've been praying for. They have moved it from inside their chapel building out into the outer area because the fire marshal had certain limitations on how many people could be in there well now it's grown even more and there are other college campuses christian college campuses where a similar thing is happening wouldn't that be amazing if this is the beginning of a nationwide movement that began in young people as a cry out to the lord change us change our hearts and change our land amen so Uh, Just keep that on your radar and keep praying. Pray along with them, for them, but for us too, that we might have a heart of expectancy and uh, joy in what God is doing there. So this past week, our staff went to uh, a conference in Grapevine at Fellowship Church, uh, the Creative Church Conference, C3, the creative, starts with a C, church, starts with a C, conference, starts with a C. Creative Church Conference, C3, just if you needed some background on that. <clears> the <throat> First time I went there was some 20 plus years ago. I was on a church staff at the time. We went there just to see what it was about, get some ideas, maybe some creative ideas. And God moved in, in me and others at that conference at that time. And I thought, I gotta get back here. So over the years that followed, a couple of years, I went back. I was just on staff at the time at a church. I was, in a, I was not a pastor. In fact, at that time, I had no intentions of ever being a pastor. I saw what the pastor did and I thought, no thank you. And so, but God worked. And one year I was sitting at that conference and just moved completely and clearly knew he was calling me into the pastor role, although I had no idea what that was gonna look like because my father-in-law was the pastor of the church I was at. So that was weird, that was awkward, but I knew this is what God was calling me to. So over the years ahead, he, he made it clear. There were some difficult times, there were some days I wondered if it was really gonna to come to pass, but I trusted him in the process. Here we are today, right? And God has worked. So to sit there again this year and to look back on all that time and think, wow, God, you have been faithful. You've been so good to speak, to lead. Even when I haven't been faithful, you have been faithful in the process. And then I'm sitting here with staff and you know, some of that's my own family. I'm like, God, you are so good to do things beyond what I could have ever dreamed or imagined. And he's still doing that, right? And it just encouraged me and I hope it's encouragement to you to know this, that wherever you are right now in your situation in life, that is not meant to be your destination in life. Wherever you, excuse me, wherever you are right now, whatever you're facing, that is not the end of the road for you. God has a purpose to work in and through and do in us more exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or think. And all he looks for are those who will say, yes, Lord, whatever it is, I will walk the path and I will do what you called me to do. So I know just from my own experiences that sometimes we start off well on that course. You know, it's like a race and you start off running like, yeah, I got this. And you get into the race, you get a few laps in, you're like, oh, Lord, I'm getting tired. Oh, Lord, I don't know about this. Oh, Lord, this is a bit more than I thought. And along the way, we get distracted. And along the way, some things happen. And along the way, some people reject us. And along the way, some pain happens. And along the way, we just start backing up in the race and even check out of the race and step off the track and think, this is the end destination. Today, we're gonna see from Scripture that your current situation, off to the side, living the mundane, doing your own thing, is not what God has called you to. He has something greater for you, and He's waiting for you and I to get back in and say, yes, Lord, I'm ready to run this race, amen? I think that's been uh, what God has been doing in our church. I've I, I mentioned this before that um, throughout this series, when I started it, I, I'll do this next week. I'll bring you the, um, the big sheet of paper I had that showed what I thought this series was gonna be because I, I like to plan and I like to look ahead and I did that for this series And God has completely changed everything about what this series has been about. And He has been faithful to work in us and through His Word and His Spirit throughout the process. So today we continue that story. We look at a man who is uh, in a similar spot. He's doing his own thing. He's caught up in his daily routine and God has something greater for him. And he's gonna see a challenge And he's gonna have an opportunity to move on to what God has for him. So this is our message title today, How to Move On to What God's Got. Now I know the English teachers and majors in the room are like, dude, do you not know English? You know it should be what God has for you, right? I know that. But it just sounds so cool to say what God's got, right? So if you'll allow me a little bit of freedom to uh, not be perfectly... Englishy today, right? All right. So um, um, that's our message today. Let me show you our, our weekly reading this week for, from the Bible. If you'd like to follow along, feel free to take a picture of the screen. It'll be on social media. It'll be on the app this week. Um, these are the passages that fit with this message. They all are designed to go along with this this message today, asking the question, what will you break with so that you can join what God has for you? So Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 19. We're in the Old Testament today. 1 Kings chapter 19. We're gonna meet two men today who are in this story. And the tricky part about this story and these two men is their names sound almost identical. And it's easy to get them mixed up because the first one's name is Elijah with a J and the second one's name is Elisha with an S-H, right? Elijah and Elisha, the Juh and the Shuh, but I'm gonna call them Elijah. I'm not gonna call them Juh and Shuh, even though that'd be fun to do. Uh, Elijah and Elisha, they actually are not related. It's not like their mom thought, oh, this will be cute, Juh and Shuh. Hey, Juh, Shuh." No, that's not what this is. Two separate men who who probably knew each other a little bit along the way. Uh, One knew the other probably more than the other knew him but they're not related. And so these two men are part of the story today. Elijah with a J is the older one. Elisha is the younger one. So the J comes first before the sh in the alphabet. So he's the one that came first if you need a little reference there. You with me so far? So Juh is an older man and he is a prophet of God. God has been using him in his life to speak and do powerful miracles. Uh, depending upon which list you look at and how you rank them, he he has seven times that God does something miraculous through him. And God uses him to perform mighty miracles. In fact, on one occasion, um, he was going toe-to-toe with the false gods in his day. And he wasn't afraid of the culture and he wasn't afraid to speak out. He wasn't afraid to speak to the governing authorities. He was God's man, called for that time and for God's people. So he boldly spoke out and said, King, if you don't repent and the people don't repent in this land, God is going to send a drought. And so Elijah prayed that it might not rain. And guess what? It did not rain. I mean, it didn't rain not just for a day, not just for a week, not just for a month. It didn't rain for three and a half years. A drought comes in the land. And James of the New Testament refers to this and said, this man was a, he was a man like us and he had faith and he prayed that it might not rain. And it did not rain for three and a half years. So Elijah ends up going toe to toe with the false prophets of the day and they have a showdown to see whose God is really God. And he challenges them and says, hey, if your God's really God, Prove it. Have him send down fire and lick up the sacrifice. And so they agreed to the battle. And so they set up their altar. Elijah set up up his altar. And they prayed and they sang and they did all kind of mayhem that day. They cut themselves to try to appease the gods that didn't exist. And nothing happened. Elijah said, All right, my turn, after he sufficiently mocked them and embarrassed them, by the way. um, He said, okay, my turn. He said, and just to make this clear, he said, why don't you go ahead and soak my offering that I have for the Lord. Uh, he's He's gonna lick it up with fire, but why don't you just go ahead and pour a lot of water on this and just soak this thing down. I really want you to get the fact that this is really God and it's real. So they do, and he prays a very simple prayer, and God, sure enough, shows up and licks up the sacrifice, and a you know this powerful moment of fire comes down, licks it up, and all the people repent, and they chase after all these false gods, and they remove them from the land. And sure enough, then Elijah prays, and it rains again on the land. He was a man of mighty miracles. So after this event, the Bible says that he went through a time of. Um, almost like depression because he thought, I'm like the only one left in the land who trusts God. I'm like the only one. God, is there not anyone else here in this land? I know you've shown yourself mighty and I'm kind of exhausted from the event. He started thinking, there's probably not anybody else. And he went through a time of almost spiritual depression and God pulled him aside. God spoke to him, God fed him. God ministered to his heart. And during that time, he said, Elijah, I have a mission for you. I want you to go and find the man, the young man, Elisha, because you're going to call him and he will be the next great man of God. He will be the one who will follow you. Elijah, this is your mission to go and get Elijah." So where we meet them both in the story is at that moment. So 1 Kings 19, we're going to start down in verse 19. It says, so Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now, we gotta put ourselves in the context here because that doesn't sound like a whole lot to us. But what this is telling us is that Elijah lived in a wealthy family. To have uh, 12 pair of oxen meant you had a lot. His dad had a lot. And so here he is. He's in a family. He's in a wealthy family. He's got a job. He's got a career. He works hard. He's driving the 12th pair of oxen. He's got this routine. He's got his life all established. He's probably heard of Elijah because they just went through three and a half years of no rain. He probably knew who that guy was who prayed for that to happen and who prayed that the rain might come. And so there they are. He's plowing. He's doing his thing. He's going through his routine, doing his life, and God is about to show up in his life in a very powerful way, because God knows exactly where Elisha is. So if you wanna get on to what God has for you, this is, I'm I'm praying all of this and saying all this to myself today as well. If you wanna get on to what God has for you next, you have to know that God meets you where you are. Doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how much you've failed. It doesn't matter how messed up you think your circumstances are. You are not too far away from the grace of God. He knows where you are. He knows what is going on. And he knows how to find you. Not to come down and hurt you, but to come and seek your heart to show you what he has for you. And that's where he meets us, is right where you are. This morning, we're in a perfect spot to hear. We've put ourselves in the posture to listen to God's word. We've put ourselves in the posture to hear his spirit. This is a great moment this morning for us to hear because he knows where we are. Amen? He's not looking for those who have the perfect track record, who are super popular, super talented. In fact, those really aren't on the criteria list. He's looking for those who will listen and will say, yes, Lord, I want you to be Lord of the all. So our story goes on. We get into the next part of verse 19. And it says, Elijah went up to him, and threw his cloak around him. Now, once again, we gotta put ourselves in some context here because that just sounds weird for us today. Nobody wears cloaks unless you're a superhero today, right? And that's no one here that I'm aware of, at least in the physical realm. A cloak, that's not something we do much with today, but in that day, it was common for people to wear cloaks. Uh, More like, uh, another word is a mantle, a mantle or what we might call a cape, something that you wore over. In fact, I have one today that's kind of like that. And um, so if you were a person who had authority or title or position, you might wear a cloak. I probably should have took my coat before I wore my cloak. But this would be something like that. Now, this would have been a, a more wealthy person's cloak, right? And so they would wear this, and it provided some you know, physical warmth, I guess, and covering in that day. But it was more symbolic of the position you had, the calling that you had. And Elijah, who had been a prophet for now some 20 plus years, he's wearing his cloak. And everyone knows him by this. Oh, there's Elijah. We know that's Elijah. We've seen him before. And he has on the cloak, the mantle, the robe of a prophet. Here's the man who speaks for God. And so it was common custom for a prophet to wear that. The priests had a certain uh, attire that God had given them to wear, but prophets wore something different. But they were recognized by their cloak. This meant here is the authority of God on this man. Here is the power of God. Here's the calling of God upon him. Here's the presence of God with him. Here is his purpose, here is his position, here is what God has called him to. Here is his anointing, his calling, his purpose, his power. So every time Elijah put on the mantle, he he had to know, I'm stepping into all that God has called me to. I represent him. So wherever I go with my mantle, with my cloak, I know I must walk as a man of God. I must walk in truth. I must walk in integrity. I must uphold the office to which I'm called to. So here we find Elijah doing what God called him to do, go in search of Elisha. And so when Elijah sees Elisha, he's in the field. I mean, he's out there working it with with the oxen. I mean, he's probably dirty. He's probably you know, up to his knees in some mud from all the rain that has happened after they hadn't been here for three and a half years. And he's working it. They've got 12 pair out there. He's working one pair himself. The workers are all going. They're doing their thing. They're working hard. He's sweating. It's been a day. And all of a sudden, Elijah shows up and he's wearing the mantle. He's wearing the calling of God. And what does he do? Elijah takes off the mantle This is your moment, Jerry. (laughs) I didn't tell Jerry ahead of time. Come on up. This is the moment where he comes and he puts the mantle on Elisha. Yeah, don't you look good? Yeah, stay right there for a second. Don't leave with the anointing yet. In this moment, a powerful moment God was saying to Elisha, God has a purpose for you. You're about to be the next man. You're about to be the guy who is gonna hear from God. His presence is gonna be with you. His power is gonna be with you and you're gonna speak. And everyone will recognize that you are the man who speaks on behalf of the Lord. This powerfully symbolic act There's not much recorded here that Elijah says to Elisha. He just puts the cloak on him and walks off. But Elisha would have known, I've just been called by the great prophet. He wants me to join him. He wants me to learn from him and he has given me his cloak powerful moment as he puts his cloak around him because Elisha is about to have to make a very significant decision. He had a successful job. He's got his life mapped out. He's got a profitable family. He's secure. He's got his own thing going. And all of a sudden, God shows up When he didn't expect it, but God knew where he was, and he came to meet him, and he came to call him, and he did so with his cloak. All right, give Jerry a hand. I'm gonna let him hand me back the cloak for just a moment. So, this is what's happening so far in the story, and we're gonna take this just a little piece at a time here because it's important. It's important what's happening here. And you have to know this if you wanna get on to what God has for you next. God calls you to what you never expected. For me, it was ministry. I never expected that. I was headed down the path to be an architect. That's what I was studying at school. I never had ministry on my mind. Then later, there was this other time that I told you about earlier where it was to be a senior pastor. I never thought that was gonna be me. And you might say, I'm not looking to go in any kind of ministry. I understand. I'm not talking about just ministry today. I'm talking about a life that is a calling to follow Jesus Christ in every part of your life. So that you pick up a new calling and identity to say, I'm going to be a Jesus follower in my life. And everything about me will be known by that calling. In my job, I'm gonna be a Jesus follower. When I'm driving down the highway, I'm gonna be a Jesus follower. In my family, I'm gonna be a Jesus follower. In my sphere of influence and friend group, I'm gonna be a Jesus follower. As a husband, I'm gonna be a Jesus follower. As a wife, I'm gonna be a Jesus follower. As a parent, I'm gonna be a Jesus follower because he is the one who gives us a calling. He is the one who finds us when we're out in the field doing our own thing, going our own way, doing whatever we've been wanting to do. And He shows up one day and He wraps His mantle of forgiveness, of grace, and hope, and mercy. And He wraps it right around us. And He says, Now, what will you do with what I have done for you? Amen. You see, that's, this is what Jesus does. Jesus meets us in our filthy rags and he clothes us with his robe of righteousness. I just think about Elisha covered in mud and all of a sudden Elijah puts this beautiful robe around him. He must have thought, this doesn't fit together here. This isn't right. And it's the same way it happens for us. You might think, I have messed up so much. I've got so much filth in my life. I've got so much that's, that is not pleasing to you, God. And he comes with forgiveness and he comes with mercy and he wraps that robe around you and calls you to follow him with all your heart. This is what God does. And he starts, he starts calling us to things that we would have never thought possible. He starts telling us, who we are in him. He starts telling us what he's going to do. He gives us a calling. He gives us purpose. He gives us authority. He gives us freedom. He gives us direction in our life. And all of a sudden he redeems your past. And all of a sudden your life has meaning. And all of a sudden every relationship takes on a different purpose. And all of a sudden you've got a purpose bigger than the mundane. All of a sudden work takes on a whole new look. All of a sudden everything about you is different because he comes with his anointing and his power and he transforms our lives so we would walk with The robe on, right? But it means we all have to come to that place of, what are you going to do with this? Elijah walks up to Elisha, puts the robe on him, and turns to walk away. What will you do now, Elisha? Here's what the Bible says in verse 20. It says, Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Sha drops the ox and says, "Ja, hold up." He says, "Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Give me a moment. I know you're headed out. Wait a minute. I just hold on just a minute. I'm not quite ready yet." And then he says, "And then I will come to you." Elisha knew I gotta make a decision. This is gonna mean a change. I'm gonna have to change what I'm doing, where I go, how I live, everything about my future. I'm gonna have to change all of this. And then it says something very interesting in scripture that Elisha says to, I'm sorry, that Elijah says to Elisha. Look at it in verse 20, the second half. He says, go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? What in the world does that mean? Let me put the emphasis on the one word in the sentence that Elijah put on it. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? In other words, Elisha, you really don't owe me any explanation. I'm just a man. What have I done? It's God who has called you. Do what he says. Don't do just what a man says. Do what God says. Don't do just what I say. Do what God says. Amen? And if he's the one speaking to you, you should do what he says. And it's up to you. Because Jesus doesn't come to scare you into following him. He doesn't come to manipulate you into following him. He doesn't come to threaten you into following him. He simply brings the forgiveness and the grace and the hope and the peace and the purpose and the calling and says, you coming or you staying? The choice becomes ours. Now this is significant in the story because Elisha had a choice. And every time God calls and speaks to us, we have a choice. It's how you began the journey with Jesus. You made a choice. You said, I will follow you, Jesus. I will leave whatever's behind me, the world behind me, the path before me, I'll follow you, Jesus, right? But that's also what is intended to happen in our life because God continues to show up in our life at times with new calling, a new mantle, if you will, and new direction. Let's go on with the story here. Let me make this one point. God calls us to moments of decision. You see, the mantle is where it all began for Elisha. 1981 is when I first heard the gospel and made the decision to follow Jesus. But there were many other times along the way when God would show up to me and say, I have a new, a new level for you. I have a, a greater calling for you now. And those came in the form of being obedient to him and turning away from some friends I had at the time that were not a good influence. They came at times of greater surrender and yielding to him, to use my talents for him. It came at a calling to be in the ministry and turn my back on two and a half years of architecture and go a different path with my life. It came at a time when God showed me who I was gonna marry and a new cloak came into my life to wear it came in a time whenever I found out we were gonna have our first child and then our second child and then our third child and then our fourth and then our fifth. And each one of those came a new cloak of responsibility, a new mantle. And along the way, there were many, many opportunities. And every time God calls us to the next place, he always does it with a calling of, here's what I have for you. Will you make the decision to walk and follow me. No matter the cost, no matter the sacrifice, will you take up the mantle? And this is where we find Elisha in our story. So let's read on and see what uh, happens next here. It says, verse 21, it says, so Elisha left him and he went back. He went back to his mom and dad. And it says, he took, his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment. You talk about a statement. You talk about a moment of, I am gonna do this thing. Here's how serious I am about following you, God. Following you, Elijah. Here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna take those oxen that were mine that I was working with and he slaughtered them, and he burned the plows. He burned the plowing equipment that was with them. This was Elisha's way of saying, I am no longer gonna be that anymore. I'm gonna follow you, God, in this direction. And it's a pretty serious moment. It's a big deal. He didn't just say, hey, Mom and Dad, you know, uh, I got this offer in the mail. I think I'm gonna try it, just... Few weeks, see what happens. I, it's a trial thing. I, I'll come, I'll, I'll probably be back. I, I just need to see what this is about. No, this wasn't a temporary trial run. This was not, I'm going to kick the tires on this deal and see how it goes. No, Elisha knew that if he was going to follow God, it meant he had to burn the past. He had to leave where he'd been. He had to take his old life and say, I am. Coming to an end with this. I'm closing the books on this end. I am through here with this. I was here, but now I'm going here. And it's so important for us as disciples to see this today, as followers of Jesus. If you're going to keep following him and what he has for you, there have to be regular times in your life where you say, I'm going to intentionally put up a moment here that separates me from my past that separates me from what I used to be, that separates me from what I used to do, that separates me from the crowd I used to run with, that separates me from the way I used to think, that separates me from the way I used to believe, and to put all that behind and say, I'm done with it so significantly that you burn it all up. It's important. In fact, it's essential. Elijah wasn't gonna get to be all that God had for him through just kicking the tires on the deal and see if it worked out. Give it a shot. No, to experience all that God has for us, you have to get into all-in mode. You have to be willing to burn the bridges. You have to be willing to cut off all options. Faith always makes a break with the past. If you want to move into all that God has for you, You've gotta make some breaks with all that has been. You've gotta get to the place where you remove all options of going back. You can't leave an escape hatch. You can't leave a way out just in case. You can't just go explore the options, trial run, see if it works out. No, you have to be all in. You have to cut off the past. You have to cut off all that you were. You have to make a break with some things that have been holding you back. That might mean some people you've hung out with. That might mean some places that you've gone. That might mean some habits that you've had. That might mean some apps and some websites that you've been visiting. That, is this mic bothering y'all like it's bothering me? There we go. You have to make a Break. Elisha knew that. It's the same thing that Jesus does with us. He says, if you wanna follow me, you're gonna to have to take up your cross and follow me. This is not a trial run deal. This is be willing to yield your life completely. Take up your cross as an instrument of death. Take up your own all in, I'll go to the death willingness if you want to see what God has for you next. And faith always calls us to that. You know, it's an interesting thing. We um, heard this again this week at the conference and I'm just reminded of this. And so I'll remind us all as I remind myself. There is a calling in Jesus Christ to step over the line, right? To leave where you've been. Now that calling is full of great mercy and Grace. It's full of acceptance. It's full of compassion. And that's what calls us forward. It's a bridge to all that he has for us. And you have this powerful mix of mercy that says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me. I have so much more for you. There's forgiveness. But to do so, to take a step toward Jesus, means you've got to take a step away from where you've been. There's a bridge that he offers of compassion, but there's a line that separates us from where we've been. And they're both important. Jesus doesn't say, hey, bring all your sin on over here. We can have a good time as well. I'll just smile at you along the way. Just keep your sin. It'll be fine. No, that's not what he calls us to. He says, die to yourself and walk alive to me. Don't walk in your flesh. Walk in the Spirit. Take up your cross and follow me. And Elisha was so willing to do that, he was ready to burn and did burn his past. He said, I'm done with all of that. And some of us, in order to move forward, need to make a big, clean break with our past. We gotta start drawing some lines we got to start separating ourselves from all that back there. Because if you're still trying to play this game and wondering why that one's not happening yet, it's because you're still trying to play this game. And because you're not willing to take the step over into all that God has for you. It's a bridge of mercy, but it's a line of decision. And that's essential for us. It was essential for Elisha as well. In 1519, the story is told of Hernan Cortez, who was headed for Mexico because he heard there was treasure there. But he also heard there were many who were guarding the treasure. He set off with 11 ships, some 600 men, and 16 horses. And he knew it was gonna be a difficult fight to get the land and the treasure that he had come for. And so as they got up on shore, Stories tell differently as to what happened next. But he told his men, he said, the battle is ahead of us. It will be fierce, but the treasure will be worth it. But it's gonna be so filled with struggle along the way and tension along the way, there's gonna be times that you're gonna to wanna to turn back. There's gonna be times when you're gonna to wanna to leave. There's gonna be times you're gonna to wanna to step off the trail and no longer pursue the treasure. And Cortez said, as a result, you see our ships? I want you to sink them all. Burn the ships. And they did. All 11 ships they brought to an end because he knew what was ahead for the men. And as a way to help them have a pure focus on what was ahead they had to burn the ships. And this allowed him and his men to have the fight, the fortitude, the faith to move forward into what he believed waited for them. The same is true for us. If you wanna experience all that God has for you, it's gonna mean some difficult breaks along the way. Sometimes you're gonna have to burn the ships. You're gonna have to cut off all possibility of going back where you're going to have to say, that part of me is no more. And when you're willing to burn the ship, you'll find the path before you open up. This is what happens for Elisha. So it says that he goes back, he burns the plowing equipment, he sacrifices the oxen, but it says he did so for this purpose in verse 21, the last part, it says, he did this to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. This was not one of those moments of sadness. This was not one of those moments where Elijah said, sorry guys, I hate to do this. I hate to say goodbye to old Bess, but we're gonna have to take her anyway. This was not a sad moment. This was a feasting celebration. This was, hey everybody, Elijah showed up and he called me to follow him. And I'm going, I'm going now. But before I go, let's celebrate. He made it public. He made a big deal out of it. And his family celebrated with him. He didn't say, hey, y'all, I really don't know what's gonna happen with this deal. We're gonna try it. This guy seems a little screwy to me, but we're gonna do this anyway. That's not what happened. He was totally all in. He went all in on the deal. He burned everything he had. They celebrated because faith always celebrates and tells others. You know that's why Jesus called us to be baptized, right? It's a way of celebrating and telling everybody else what God has done. He's changed me, and I want to make it public. He's changed me, and I want to tell somebody. And it becomes this powerful picture over and over again of transformation. That's why when God starts working in your life, it is important that you tell somebody. Don't keep it a secret. Don't not tell your spouse. Don't not tell your kids. Don't not tell your friends. Don't not tell your, your people that you know in church. No, tell them. Say it. Put it out there. Because this is a way of burning the past. This is a way of silencing the doubt. Say what it is that God's called you to. Verse 21, it says, Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Mm. He did it. He set out. He said, bye mom, bye dad, see you family. I'm going to follow what God has for me next. Now, we have the benefit of knowing the rest of the story. I told you that Elijah did some miracles in his time. Do you remember the number of how many miracles? It was seven, thank you. As the story progresses, there's a day when Elijah goes, to home, goes home to be with the Lord. And as he's going, Elisha says, oh Lord, please give me a double portion of whatever spirit he had <laughs> of your spirit in me. Double portion of that. When you read the scripture, guess how many miracles Elisha did in his lifetime? 14. God powerfully worked through Elisha. And the story of scripture, tells that God did a, a miracle through Elisha that saved the life of a widow and her son. God did a miracle through Elisha and fed 100 men. God did a miracle through Elisha and miraculously healed a military leader, physically and spiritually. Through Elisha, there was a young man who had his spiritual eyes opened and he saw heaven through Elisha, there's this very unusual story of a man who was swinging an axe and when he reared back with the axe, the head went, and it landed in some water and went, Bing. Elisha showed up, prayed to God, that axe head rose up and floated on the water. Crazy story. There's a great spiritual lesson in that, by the way. Uh, Elisha was a man that God used to speak to many leaders, national leaders, and God spoke through him. But none of that could have happened if Elisha did not make the hard call to choose to leave some things behind. Because this is what faith does. Faith owns the robe and takes the step. When I put the robe on Jerry, it was a picture of a moment where Jerry was having to make a decision. Do I keep this thing on? Do I wear this? As Elisha had to face that moment. God, is this, you, you've called me to this? I, I don't feel worthy. I don't feel prepared. I don't feel enough. And God says, it's not about how you feel. It's not about your own worthiness. I'm the one who declares what worthiness is, and I do so by the sacrifice of my son. So when Jesus shows up to us, as I believe he is right now, and he says to you, I want you to leave some things behind because I have a robe for you. I have a new calling for you. I have a new anointing for you a new power and a new purpose in this day and time. You are not here by accident. You are here on purpose. You're here by my purpose. You have not just accidentally appeared into the family you are in. You are here by my design. And I am calling you. I'm placing my robe of righteousness on you. I know your life may feel like it's been a full of ashes, but I bring beauty from ashes. And I'll give you a robe of joy where there has been despair and sorrow. But the thing with anyone who has the offer of the robe, you have to be willing to wear it. You have to be willing to say, God, this is what you've called me to. I will follow you. I'll leave behind some things in fact to do that. I'm gonna leave behind my selfishness, I'm gonna leave behind some bitterness, I'm gonna leave behind some jealousy, I'm gonna leave behind some resentment, I'm gonna leave behind some greed, I'm gonna leave behind some brokenness because I have to in order to follow you. I don't know what God is asking you to leave behind, but I'm pretty confident for all of us there's something or some things, amen, that he is saying, I have so much more for you. If you'll wear the robe I have for you, I'll show you it all. I'll do it. I'll do it in your Mind, I'll do it in your heart. I'll heal what has been broken. I'll do it in your relationships. I'll do it in your purpose. I'll do it in your marriage. I'll do it in your family. I'll do it in you. But you have to be willing to wear the robe and take the step. What a beautiful story from Scripture, right? And what a calling. Would you bow your heads with me as we take a moment to really deal with what God is calling us to. And I don't know what it is for you. Whatever it is that he's saying to you, hey, why don't you burn that? Why don't you leave that behind? You won't need that where we're going. It'll only be a harm to you. Burn that attitude. Burn those bridges Burn the way out, the way of escape that you've held on to. Burn your own control of the situation. Burn it all and follow me. Trust me, I know what I have for you. And it's bigger than what you can imagine. But I'll show it to you if you'll wear the robe. Father, I thank you that while we were sinners, you sent your son so that we could wear his robe of righteousness. And now you call each of us to new places of obedience, new places of surrender, new places to follow you. And in return, you ask us to leave behind some things. So today is that day. We intentionally make room to follow you with all of our heart and to leave the past behind to leave behind fear of what others think, to leave behind all of our doubt and to follow you. So Father, I pray for those in the room this morning who need to take the step to follow you to begin with their their life, to become a follower of Jesus. Father, I ask you to help those who need to make the decision to be baptized and to publicly say, I will follow him. I ask you to give strength to those who need the courage to leave some things behind and to walk and follow you. God, fill them with your spirit and your purpose and your power that they might take that step and see what awaits and to join you in the journey to make room for you to do whatever you want to do in full surrender. Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for the bridge and thank you for the line. We step across today.